At one time, the government would not permit you to watch Elvis Presley shake his hips on TV. It was too racy. Have you been to a grammar school lately? Because that's where the fight to save or destroy the culture really is. Literally, on the home front, separating parents from their children and submitting kids to the worst kinds of pressures and manipulations. And that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network, with your host, Dan Newman. Let's get something straight. We're in this together, whatever this may look like. Today, I think we're pretty much okay. I mean, we have a lot of things, a lot of challenges on our plate. But I think we're going to get them all handled. I really do. It's not being too easy, is it? We're having to struggle. Those in leadership over us who we respect, we've got to trust them. But we have to hold them accountable at the same time. Just because they may be like thinking and just because they may too be conservatives doesn't mean we give them a free pass. We're going to get into some specifics about what that looks like today. And I say today, Tuesday, there are some really important things that our leaders must take care of today. And isn't that the way it's supposed to be every day? They're up there on your your payroll, and they're working for us. Aren't they supposed to do specific tasks every day? One looming large, really, right now, that we've got to have something resolved by September 30th, or we don't have any more money as a government to spend on all our needs? And that's just one example. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live, our Tuesday edition. Much on our plate today, and some of it's going to be exhausting. <laughs> I promise you, it's not easy. None of it's easy. But what's easy is relaxing just for a few minutes. Grab a cup of coffee and just breathe deep.
nobody did it as good as Luther Vandross. Oh my gosh. What a great song. Here and now, you're all I'll ever need. Song sang by a good friend of ours, Britt Schote, at her oldest daughter's wedding. My goodness, many, many years ago, about 27, 27 years ago. Oh my gosh. Well, if you just joined us, thank you for being here with us today. Tuesdays are always special at TNN Live. Every day special at TNN Live. Why? Because you're part of it. And I want to thank you for doing that. It's special, special today because our guy in Washington, D.C., sometimes, sometimes he's in North Carolina, sometimes he's in Dallas, Fort Worth, he's on the road. That's what he does. Our very own investigative journalist, Steve Baker, will be with us in hour number two. And I talked to him for a long time yesterday. He's been on the road. He's been in Dallas. He's been in D.C. And he has some truth bombs he's going to drop on us in our second hour. So you don't want to miss it. Much to talk about, much going on. And um, I think we just need to jump right in. What about you? You know the insanity of Washington, D.C., many pieces of it. But one that just blows my mind, it happens every year. We get to the end of September, last couple of weeks in September. And, of course, we know that the House and the Senate have a constitutional requirement. They have to do a budget every year. And in that budget is all of the spending that we're going to do so that they can do everything in the way of collecting taxes, making sure there's enough money in the bank to pay the bills, and if not, move some money around or maybe borrow more money, which is what they do every day now is just borrow more money. But you can't even borrow more money unless you have the approval of a congressionally passed budget. And so once again, here we are. Today is the 19th day of September, 11 days away from when our spending, the permission, the legality of our government spending ends September 30th, 11 days. And we don't have anything in place to authorize spending to move forward. So, of course, we hear all the cries from the left against the right, from the right against the left. But it all boils down to this one thing. Congress needs to do their job. They need to do what Congress is supposed to do, and they need to quit this crap. It comes around every year along this time, and so what do they do? They blackmail their opponents. Sometimes they blackmail the same people on the same side with them. It's supposed to be not Republicans versus Democrats, not even Republicans versus De- Republicans or Democrats versus Democrats. It's supposed to be Republicans working with Democrats doing the work they're supposed to do for we the people who they work for. But don't for a second think that anybody up there that numbers among the 535 members of the United States Congress, 435 On the House side, 100 on the Senate side. Don't think they're afraid of their employers, you and me, because they're not. That's because they make all the rules. And in life, he who makes the rules controls everything, right? Well, 
So what do you do in a stopgap? Just if they can't get their stuff together in 11 days and get a budget put together in the House and then sent across to the other side of the Capitol to the Senate for them to put their graces on it or reject what the House does and come up with their own plan. You see what we get into? Pressure, threats, promises, angry, all of that is just sweltering up in Washington, D.C. today because they don't have anything done. We're told overnight, well, the House committee has cleared a short-term budget resolution as government shutdown looms, and we hear this every year. So what have they done? What has the House done? It's certainly not a budget. It's a short-term continuing resolution, short for CR, aimed at averting this government shutdown while allowing Congress an additional month to come up to some consensus on spending, and it's been cleared for consideration by the House of Representatives. At least the House has decided we'll talk about it. So the House Rules Committee voted 9-3 to along party lines to pass the rule for consideration of this bill, H.R. 5525, which is titled Continuing Appropriations and Border Security Enhancement Act of 2024. It's been proposed jointly by a coalition of Republicans from the House Freedom and the Main Street Caucuses. In other words, people within the party have gotten together. This bill, now remember, this is not the budget. This is just a 30-day breath of fresh air. So, and they promise us that if we give them that, we the people, their bosses, give them 30 days, little extra money to spend when they get to the end of the this 30, the next 30, you know, they're going to have stuff put together. Now, what this bill would do, this CR would give government funding for 31 days beyond the end of September 30th. In other words, the short term is October 31st, they'd have to do something again. And during this 30-day hiatus, cut most non-defense discretionary spending by just over 8%. Department of Defense Veteran Affairs spending would continue at current levels. If you're a Social Security recipient, don't worry. This will not impact that if it happens or doesn't happen. Designers of this specific piece of legislation included large portions of H.R. 2. If you remember, now that's a way, way, way back number. H.R. 2, it will secure the Border Act is what it's called, which passed the House in May, but hadn't yet been taken up by the Senate. First and foremost, I want to reiterate that the package before you is focused on securing the southern border. That came from Representative Stephanie Bice from Oklahoma, a Republican, a sponsor of this continuing resolution, CR. I'm pleased that this bill includes nearly the entirety of H.R. 2 plus nine appropriations limitation provisions to block Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS secretary, from releasing illegal aliens into the interior while they wait for their hearing, asylum hearing. Now, let's just 
stop for a second. Just suppose they approve this in the House and it goes across to the Senate and they approve it too by the end of October. Do you think during that time period, that time lag, the next 11 days, and then, you know, another month that Alejandro Mayorkas is going to close the border, (laughs) that Joe Biden is going to close the border. If you believe that stuff, I've got a big piece of property in the middle of a swamp in South Louisiana I want to talk to you about. Maybe you want to buy it. H.R. 2 would limit, we are told, the Department of Homeland Security in providing parole to illegal immigrants, allowing them to stay here for a while. You know, when you fail to enforce the nation's immigration laws, more are going to come. That's Representative David Joyce of Ohio, Republican. This bill provides a solution to keep the government going, secure the border, restrain the growth of government spending while we negotiate the final fiscal year, 2024. Wow, just warm and fuzzy all over I am. Though the bill includes nearly all of H.R. 2, that closed the border bill, it does not include E-Verify. I wonder why. You know what E-Verify is? That's where employers in many cases, are required by government law. Anytime you're going to consider hiring somebody, you have to go on E-Verify and verify that they're legal. But they just left that out of this bill. That's just one thing they left out of it. Ask about that omission. House Speaker McCarthy said, we're talking about a continuing resolution here. That's what members on all sides believe would be the best way to go. In other words, just give up. Democrats decried the continuing resolution as a partisan attempt to usher in dramatic spending cuts with no negotiation either with House Democrats or members of the Senate. So Democrats, of course, they argue against this CR. There are major cuts across the board here, and I don't think anybody truly understands The impact of what these cuts are going to mean, that's from ranking member Jim McGovern, obviously a Democrat, obviously from Massachusetts. It's 31 days and 8% cut, which annually is 1%. Ms. Bice responded, if you look at the numbers, they compare the, the 2019 funding levels. Oh, we don't need to go back and even consider any previous year in which we spent less money than what we're talking about here. We need, and this is not her talking, this is me paraphrasing what Democrats in the House and, of course, in the Senate are saying to each other. We need more money. We don't need less money. And if we we get stuck with less money, we're going to make it come from the pockets of those hardworking Americans, you know, those middle-class Americans. And we promise every year we're going to make your life better, and then every year we just take more from them. Michelle Fishback, a Republican from Minnesota, said this, we need to remember what we're trying to do is get us to a point where we can work on those 12 appropriations bills. Do you realize every year in the budget, constitutionally, There are 12 different appropriation bills that Congress is supposed to work on during the year, going through regular order, making proposals. The members 
in Congress. They look to their leaders on the House side. Right now, it's Speaker Kevin McCarthy. On the Senate side, it's Democrat Chuck Schumer. Those two are supposed to be the ones that organize, structure, and monitor the process of taking each of these 12 appropriations bills, sending each one of those bills out to the committee, the specific committee in the House or the Senate that is over crafting and putting these bills in a form that could potentially at some point be called a law instead of a bill. They haven't done that. They've had a year to do that. Ms. DeLauro said this is not 30 days, noting that the appropriations process cannot be completed in that period of time. So additional CRs would be needed, extending the cuts well beyond October. Ms. Bice and Representative Chip Roy, Republican from Texas, asserted that the cuts proposed by the bill mirrored the top line of the Fiscal Responsibility Act, a compromise bill passed in June based on a deal between Joe Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to increase the nation's debt ceiling in exchange for certain spending cuts. That sounds logical. Yeah, right. Democrats insisted the true amount of spending contained in the bill was much greater, particularly in programs that support low-income people. We're looking at it's about $462 million less for the WIC program, Women's and Children's Food Substancy, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who would be jettisoned from that program. This is Ms. Delorio. You've got almost $124 million less for safety. It's long past time to... Listen, this is all about the same old stuff. They refuse to get together and do their freaking jobs. Now, let me tell you what you and I are going to do. Mike Johnson, our congressman, he's on this show at least a couple of times every month. He's going to be here with us Friday morning. It's your job and my job. He is, if you live in the 4th Congressional District in northwest Louisiana, which we have a much larger audience outside of this district, but a lot of you live here, you want to give Congressman Johnson a piece of your mind? I'll open the phone. It's in the 9 o'clock hour coming up this Friday morning. He's a really important number four Republican in power in their daisy chain of authorities in the Republican Party in the House. Ask him. Tell him what you think. And it's probably going to be heavy, so if you got something you want to say to him or ask him a question, why don't you send it to me between now and Friday morning? Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Don't you think we owe it to our leaders to know what we think and feel? Make sure they know what they're doing. It's a reflection of what you and I feel, not just their obligations, their political obligations. We're not politicians. We're working, taxpaying Americans. They need to listen to us first. And, of course, right now, tensions in the House Republican Party, they are in trouble. 
it's tough to avoid or not avoid this potential shutdown. Frustration spilling over in all kind of public jabs. It'll be this way all week long. Airing of grievances with no clear path forward to fund the government past this 11 days from now, Mark, September 30th. It's an unmitigated disaster on the majority side. Now, who's saying that? Representative Steve Womack from Arkansas. He's a Republican, an appropriator. I'm fearful of what this is going to lead to. You know, depending on what story you read from what news source or what any specific writer of a story or author or whoever think, most, when we get down to stuff like this, most of the input you're getting from national sources is going to be negative. I'm not hearing or seeing any big positive things coming up here. There's only one positive thing that voters want to see and hear. What might that be? We have an agreement. And we being Republicans and Democrats in the White House while we're talking about it, because whatever they come up with in the House and the Senate, the President of the United States has got to agree to or it's back to the drawing board and nothing gets done and we're facing all those threats of things that are going to happen bad if we default on our debt. We're going to have some more about that. But let me tell you what, I'm going to lighten it up just a minute. I want to do something we never do here. I want to get over into the, uh, oh, I don't know, la-la land. Maybe the entertainment business. Maybe, um, I don't know, at a women's get-together at their favorite restaurant around the table after they get the hubby gone to work and kids at school and they meet for some coffee in the morning. One of those things that they talk about. What would that be? Somebody that's really in tune with the United States government and its operations. You know who Christy Nome is. Christy Nome is the current governor of South Dakota. She served a couple of terms in the House of Representatives. She's a very, very smart person. Very, very, very smart. A very, very good political leader. She's led the people of South Dakota into amazing successes in a lot of ways. She's extremely conservative. But what we're going to visit about for the next, oh, I don't know, one minute, is the fact that Christy Nome is drop-dead gorgeous. And she is in many people's eyes, thoughts, and ears, and mouths about potentially becoming the running mate for Donald Trump on the Republican ticket next year. And in the middle of this, what always comes up? Sex. (laughs) So who better to tell us about what's going on there with Christy Nome and someone else than Megyn Kelly. Megyn Kelly, formerly of Fox News, one of the most beautiful women on air today and one of the most beautiful women in America, Megyn Kelly. Listen to Megyn tell us about the rumors that are out there that are rampant that Christy Nome is having an affair. The Daily Mail doesn't, they don't get these things wrong. In my experience, I can't think of one they've gotten wrong. 
Uh, it's not like the National Enquirer or the Star. You know, like if the Daily Mail gives you the Daily Mail or fair treatment, you're probably having an affair. I'm sorry. That's just, that's my experience in reading the sh the, the uh, publication for a long, long time. They're, they are as as sort of tabloidy as some people believe they are. They, they really are fact-based and they don't like getting sued. And I don't think that they would print this unless they thought they were bulletproof on it. So what the heck is going on, Dan? What is it? Who's Christy Nome supposed to be involved in in an illicit affair? Do you remember Corey Lewandowski? Corey was President Trump's first campaign manager. Corey Lewandowski, if you've seen him and you know him, I don't know about you, but he wouldn't be the guy that I would pick Christy Nome to fall in love with or get involved in an affair. Christy's got a great family. She loves her husband. They've been married a good while, some gorgeous kids. But anyway, Megyn Kelly said it, and of course she's quoting the Daily Caller. And I'll, I'll second what she told you. Daily Caller is not a rag. They don't get into stuff like this, and typically when they come out with anything, they've got proof to back it up. Maybe, just maybe, Corey and Christy are together doing a little rubbity dubbity who knows? But would that be, should that be the thing that we're concentrating on this show right now? No, it just intrigues me because Christine Ohm is such a drop dead gorgeous and a really good communicator. She's an amazing woman, a great governor, a great leader in many, many ways. I can see where Corey could get his eyes on Christine Ohm. Not so sure about why, and just assume for a second it's really happening. Christy would allow herself to put her life, which is pretty darn good right now. I mean, think about it. She's a governor of a state, very successful. She's been to D.C. She was in the U.S. Congress. She's done it all pretty much. Most of the important things, she's got a great husband, a great family, and the people in her state love her. And she's seriously being considered to become the vice president of the United States, at least the candidate on Donald Trump's ticket. <laughs> you just never know what really might be going on out there, do you? It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> heard that before you deserve to save i know i need you to hear me you deserve to save i deserve to save i mean he has a way of making you feel seen bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com believe in the power of friendship really you guys are good <laughs> movies right when you want them watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. This is your home. This is your family room, slash gym. The guest bedroom, slash music studio. The day bed, slash dog bed. The living room, slash yoga shanti, slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement, slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? 
or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified. That we freshly bake goodies throughout the day. Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. Saying it out loud. No spin, only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. I'm going to get right to a couple of things. If you just joined us, thank you for doing that. In our second hour today, we'll be joined by our buddy, Steve Baker, who is in North Carolina today. He, since the last time he's been here, uh, he missed last week. Shame on him. But since, he's been in both Texas at the Blaze Network, where he's a corresponding associate writer, specifically about things directly pertaining to January 6th and the fallout. And of course, then he's also been to Washington, D.C. He's going to tell us a bunch of things coming out of that trip to Washington, D.C. I got a, a little insight into it in a short conversation he and I had yesterday. You do not want to miss Steve Baker in our second hour. And by the way, any show that you miss here live, and we don't want you to, but we understand your schedule is like mine, often helter-skelter, <clears throat> and you have to struggle to get all of the stuff in. You can always go back to your favorite web post and podcast hosting site because just a matter of minutes after each of these shows goes live and it's over, you can go grab it from any one of those podcast sites like Spotify Podcast, Google, uh, iHeartRadio. I'm trying to think of them all. There's about 27, 30 of them that are common names that you know, but there are a hundred plus that actually carry the show. Nevertheless, its title is TNN Live, and we're certainly glad that you joined us here. We've got some things we want to get out of the way that are important, and we want you to know about them. Molly Hemingway and Greg Jarrett, those two names, those are two real heavyweights in politics and in news. They, um, they joined a television host yesterday to come up with some really good information and data about what President Trump is talking about through the weekend. As you know, he was on NBC's big talk show. And it was interesting, some of the things he said. Here's some analysis. We've been discussing Mr. Trump's uh, interview with NBC. Um, let me put the sound up first. This is Mr. Trump on corruption, and he seems to disagree with the moderator um, regarding Joe Biden's corruption. Take a listen, and then I'll get your comments. Thank you. Well, of course, there's no evidence that the president has any link to his son's business dealings. Let me ask you, though, well, I don't, about a I don't second. necessarily well, agree. No he, he called in. You mean he called in all these meetings? He was calling in on the meetings. He was put on speakerphone and you mean, every single day and the witness literally many, many calls. And uh, and what about the fact that he got rid of the prosecutor for a billion dollars? I mean, there are a lot of things here, Mr. President. Yeah, there are a lot of things here. Molly Hemingway, what do you make of that little um, dialogue, I'm going to call it? 
Yeah, this was Kristen Welker's first time hosting Meet the Press as the permanent host. She did this debate with President Trump where I think a lot of people were shocked at how uninformed or misinformed she is about basic facts, such as the Biden family influence peddling operation, how Joe Biden is implicated in a lot of the allegations that are there with the Biden family. She ran a lot of defense for President Biden, not just on that issue, but about DOJ corruption, which is related to this story as well. And she also was falsely characterizing Democrats' abortion position. She lied and said that they did not support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. In fact, Nearly every elected Democrat has voted in favor of that. So it was a very interesting debut for Kristen Welker and very disappointing for a lot of people who hoped she would be an improvement over the activism of Chuck Todd. Well, you know, I got to say, um, I said this earlier in the show, I know her. Um, she covered me while I was working in the White House. I thought she was a very fair reporter, but I was kind of disappointed in the way she handled this interview. I mean, Greg Jarrett, to say that there's no evidence that Joe Biden was involved in his son's business or that there was any corruption. Um, Ms. Welker said that. I mean, huh, really? I mean, I'm just reading, uh, coming down here, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is no friend of Donald Trump's, nonetheless, has a whole list of the various corruption issues oh, yeah. that are being discussed. So, I mean, it was very disappointing, Greg. What do you make of it? Well, she repeated the exact same lie that, you know, every hour of every day, the mainstream media peddles to the public. Um, they don't understand what evidence is. Facts and information constitute evidence. It comes in the form of documentary or testimonial evidence. It's direct or indirect circumstantial evidence, but it is evidence nevertheless. And there are volumes of that kind of evidence that implicate Joe Biden as directly complicit in his son's influence peddling schemes. The evidence comes in emails and text messages and wire transfers and 170 SARS reports flagged by banks to the criminal division at Treasury. Uh, you know, there are White House logs and photographs, uh, documented meetings, uh, with Hunter Biden's partners. He dined with him. All of this constitutes a wealth of evidence. The question uh, really is, does it rise to the level of criminality, which I think it does, or an impeachable offense, which I also think it probably does? Uh, so, you know, if the media would stop pretending to be lawyers and defense attorneys for Joe and Hunter Biden and actually open a law book, uh, they'd be shocked at what they discover. Molly Hemingway, can I just ask you, uh, I had um, Jamie Comer on, Chairman Comer on last week, and I asked him about um, subpoenas for Hunter Biden and other you know, family members, and he said something interesting. I mean, his strategy is going to be to, quote-unquote, follow the money. You know, Greg talked about the suspicious bank accounts running through Treasury. Um, Chairman Comer is a former banker, as you may know, and I'm kind of partial to that strategy. Uh, you know, you can argue about various circumstances and who said what to whom, but if you had hard evidence, hard evidence of bank accounts, you know, going from point A to point B, which is where Comer started this and wants to continue it, I'd say that's pretty solid uh, regarding an impeachment inquiry. But Molly, I wonder what you thought. Is, is the fall of the money strategy, in your judgment, the best way to go? 
I think it's really important that this committee do as much investigation as they can outside of the purview of TV cameras. And that means that you kind of wait to the end to have some of these subpoenas of Biden family members mm. after you've collected all of the evidence. Now, they have collected a lot of evidence already. Senator Johnson had collected a lot of evidence by 2020. And theirs is not just about the Biden family influence peddling business, which no one can really deny. It's also about how the Department of Justice covered up investigation of that business, how they moved to protect Hunter Biden and Joe Biden from a proper investigation, and how intimately tied that Department of Justice is to Democrat campaign strategy, both in terms of who they protect, but also in terms of who they go after. And that is something that, you know, much more needs to be to be done. But I would wait for some of those explosive televised interviews to happen at the end. Interesting. Every day we get some kind of new spin, some kind of new pieces of evidence or confidence or lack of confidence in information that's been out there and been perpetrated on a a large scale to be factual when it's actually not. And these things keep going in circles, coming back around. Have you noticed that? We're having a tough time getting something that we can nail down as absolutely this is factual and then put that in our pockets and move on to the next thing. We're struggling with all of that. You know why it is? Because those on the left, they have something to cover up. It's what their president has been involved with. Our president, it doesn't matter who you say is president, whoever is president is the president legally of every American. In this case, it's Joe Biden. Now, something happened yesterday that really shocked me. Jim Jordan, congressman from Ohio, he's the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, he is demanding some documents from the Hunter Biden probe, and he wants and is demanding an interview with the top prosecutor. Hmm. He made a sweeping request for more information about the Justice Department's investigation of Hunter Biden setting a date for an interview with David Weiss, that prosecutor, now that Weiss has become the special counsel on the Hunter Biden investigation while demanding a number of documents related to this ongoing investigation. He's asking the DOJ to turn over a series of documents related to those two IRS whistleblowers who claimed the investigation is being mismanaged. In a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland, contents of the letter show the committee is seeking an October 11th interview with Weiss. Now, wait a minute. It's the 19th of September, October 11th, three weeks away. Can't we get something going sooner than that? This government running around in circles, planning, canceling, pushing back, that gets so old. People's memories are short. But our time is pressure. Treat your bosses like time is a big deal for you. This stuff going on also shows the panel requesting interviews with other top DOJ officials that were mentioned in testimony by these same two IRS whistleblowers. And these include U.S. Attorney for D.C. Matthew Graves and Leslie Wolf, who's a deputy to Special Counsel David Weiss. 
The request comes after the two whistleblowers. Remember IRS agents Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler? They both complained the investigation into Hunter Biden was slow-walked, pointing to both Weiss and Wolf as, at times, hesitant to aggressively pursue the case, which included allegations of several tax kinds, crimes that uh, are in the millions of dollars. Shapley also said Graves resisted bringing charges against Biden in D.C., a claim that's been denied both by his office as well as David Weiss's. Now, all these little things that come up and they, they just don't fit. Somebody's saying something so, it's not so, but it takes us weeks and months to get to the root of all of this. There seems to be no sense of timing And that is the most frustrating thing for American people, I think. we got a lot of people that tune into this show just to get the latest, hoping that we have more information than they're getting from other sources. And if it's happening to our followers, the people that come here, how much is it happening outside of our circles? Think about that for a minute. Jordan also asked for a huge volume of documents tied to the ongoing investigation in the Hunter on charges, as you know, he's charged for related failing acknowledging drug use when seeking to buy a gun. It's unclear if additional tax charges are coming. Those documents he's looking for include a PowerPoint regarding the investigation and any notes or any emails related to an October 7th meeting in which Shapley recalled Weiss saying, He sought and was denied special counsel's status, leaving him unable to pursue charges outside of Delaware. Everybody in the DOJ refutes what the other people are saying. Now, by the way, if you haven't heard, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, is going to be in front of Congress yesterday and uh, tomorrow in a hearing. And I'm sure all of this is going to be brought up. We will be watching here at TNN Live. Um, I kind of like it when Merrick Garland gets up there because he gets stewed and he's not really good at being extemporaneous and coming back with good, concise answers. He gets frustrated. And when he does that, it just makes him look guilty all the time. Wanted to tell you about what Jim Jordan is after. Now, again, in less than 20 minutes, Steve Baker is going to be joining us here. Before we do that, we want to tell you some of the things that we have found out overnight. Colombia, the nation of Colombia, has a government plan regarding illegal immigrants. And it also has to do with the United States of America. You have any idea what the Colombian government has planned for 2024? They're actually setting up a system to guarantee that they can send one million more illegal aliens, one million to the United States next year, one million economic migrants from around the world will exit Colombia for the U.S. in 2024. Their president, Gustavo Petro, made that clear publicly. Colombia will not interfere with the huge flow out of Colombia across Panama's Darien Gap through Mexico and up to our border. This is the governor talking to the, this not the governor, the president, Petro, 
talking to the New York Times yesterday. The answer to this crisis, he said, was not to go chasing migrants at the border or to force them into concentration camps that blocked them from trying to reach the U.S. I would say, yes, I'll help. But not like you think, Mr. Petro said of the agreement with the Biden administration, which was big on ambush, ambition, thin on details, no accountability for anybody in any agreement. That's kind of the way Joe Biden rolls, everybody in his administration. Petro said any solution of the issue has got to focus on solving migrants' social problems, which don't come from Colombia. But he, the president of Colombia, says every Colombian individual's social problems come from the United States. <laughs> now, how do you quantify that if you're Petro? I don't know. He expects half a million people to cross the Darien this year, he said. And then a million next year. That's up from a quarter million last year. One million more Darien Gap migrants in 2024 would be in addition to the huge illegal migrant flow from Central American companies, countries. Colombia's illegal inflow plus the huge legal inflow of a million legal immigrants and one million supposedly temporary workers. Do you realize that legally? We got two million people coming already a year. Coming legally. In addition to that, look how many Joe Biden's waving over the border. Y'all come on down. Or in this case, come on up. That massive inflow would accelerate the elite push demographic replacement within Americans' homeland. The huge 2024 inflow can be reversed by Republicans in Congress this month if they can bar the government from spending money to admit migrants. Because the Biden administration is committed. We're going to keep this trucker rolling. It's going up because the White House and Congress allow them to get jobs through the United States. If they could not get jobs to pay their smuggling debts, a few poor people would take the huge and expensive risk of migrating here. But our leaders, not only are they thumbing their noses at the rule of law, not just allowing all of these asylum-seeking immigrants to come up here, but they're demanding and they're opening doors so these illegals can get jobs once they get here. Millions and millions and millions. Boy, are they really gouging us. They come across the border illegally. We're housing them. We're feeding them. We're paying their health care. We're educating their children and we're giving them the jobs that the day before they take it belong to a legal American. And Joe Biden's okay with that? No, he's not just okay with that. He likes it. He's feeling good about it. Wow. On the other side of this break you're about to hear, I've got news about Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci. Mr. Science, Mr. I am Science, and Fauci's wife. Hmm, that's next. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word from Your Wallet. 
Dow. Oh, ah, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat up to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. How to improve your dining room by the Home Depot. New wood floors, new paint on the walls. Sure, you know us for that. But how about a new dining room table? Easy online returns. Now you can explore decor in a whole new way. Save now on furniture. Everything, Everything from HomeDepot.com. How doers get more done. U.S. only valid through September 7th. Limitations apply. So what's the big news about Fauci, Dan? You know, we've gotten to a point where when there are people in government who we think are doing good work and doing good work for us, and we find out when they're not really being who they said they were, we don't trust them anymore. And that's spreading across our nation. Now, I don't know of, gosh, I don't know of any people that went into the federal government that weren't already rich that came away from working in the government in some capacity or other that are filthy rich. Fauci and his wife's net worth. What do you think the number might be? We got some uh, income numbers a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, and we told you that he was, with all of his stuff rolled in, you know, working for that division of the National Institutes of Health, being the director of that agency for years and years. And then outside stuff, some of it, but not a lot because you're a full-time employee of the people, right? The government. He made a million or so. The Fauci's net worth has exceeded $11 million. Former National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases Director Anthony Fauci and his wife have a combined net worth that was over $11 million when he left government. His 2022 termination report 
included his finances through his exit at the end of last year. The documents show that Fauci and his wife were up nearly $2 million since before the pandemic, but experienced a net worth dip from 2021 to 2022. This is impossible to believe that somebody's doing this legitimately. During the pandemic years, the Fauci's became decamillionaires with their household net worth exceeding $10 million. Last year was a tough year in markets, stock markets. However, Fauci's net worth is still up sharply from $7.6 million in 2019. Before his retirement last year, you want to know how much money he made in his legitimate job? He was the highest paid federal employee, made more than the president, made more than the vice president, $480,654, and significantly out-earned the president's $400,000. In retirement, it's estimated Fauci's collecting a federal pension, which rivals a presidential salary. It's the largest retirement package in history. The disclosures show that Fauci saw their net worth expand from about $9.5 million in 2019 to $11.5 million at the end of last year. The increase over the years came from investment gains, awards, compensation, and royalties. In other words, we paid for all of that investigation, lab work, all the stuff that he funded to be done on our dollars. All that research and stuff, the patents on everything, all these drugs, all these medications, all these treatments that are being discovered, implemented, refined, revised, and all the testing in Americans' labs... An American would be you and me. All of this stuff, when it's time to get the patents filed, these doctors that are working in these labs that we're paying for, giving them all the funding that they need, they're getting on the patents and they're making. As Fauci, his name's on every one of them. You can book it. Now, they may be splitting it. But this is the biggest sham in government that I've ever heard of. And I'm not joking. I think it's atrocious. I think it's not just unfair. It's unrealistic. And it borders on being illegal. And anybody that says otherwise is not being truthful with you. Let's switch really quickly. We told you the other day, I uh, I got sent a video, a short video, and it was a video of this huge area in China. And when I say huge area, I mean dozens of acres. And the entire acreage was covered by white, brand new, China-made electric vehicles. And the investigative reporter and their team that went in there, they found out what this is all about. And I want to remind you of this. In just a few minutes, Steve Baker's going to join us. But I want you to remember all this hoopla that's going on about EVs. 
Joe Biden pushing everybody. He's demanding that we go all electric vehicles. We're going to do away with fossil. You know all the crazy stuff. So what's why? Why is why is China building these new cars, and they're all just sitting out in these lots? What is that all about? They're scamming the Chinese people and people of the world. They are building them. They're telling us they're selling them around the world. They're not. They can't sell them. But they don't want people to think and stop buying them from them. So they're just pushing them out in a lot. They did the same thing over millions of bicycles years ago. Now, everybody thinks that China is probably at this point the uh, the smartest country on earth. I mean, sometimes they just act that way. And we, of course, make them feel that way by treating them that way. But guess what? They're really not. They're struggling. We'll do more about what I'm about to tell you in, in the next couple of days, but China economically is in trouble. Guess how many people have purposely died in China on Xi Jinping's white watches uh, president. You'll never guess. You'll never guess. I'm going to give you a number. You say maybe a couple of million. We know those Uyghurs uh, that Chinese people can't stand. They're killing them off. They're forcing abortions on Chinese women. Uh, They're making people only have one child, all that kind of stuff, population destruction. Guess how many? 400 million people, 400 million Chinese people, less this year than there were 10 years ago. There's just something wrong with that, don't you think? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense unless they're serious depopulation going on in that country. And joining us now from, uh, I believe he's back in North Carolina, Steve Baker. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, Dan. I'm good. Um, I mean, as good as a guy can be that stayed up all night working on uh, my big story I've been telling you guys about. Well, we want to get into the details of that, but I don't know if you heard the little short story I just brought before you came on, um, got sent a video out of China. Have you seen that one? All those cars, brand new cars out in the middle of that field? No, I haven't. As, as you can imagine, my last three weeks have been a whirlwind. And as a matter of fact, the only reason I was not able to be with you and this audience last Tuesday was because I had an emergency um, uh, or last minute rather uh, granted access back to the Capitol uh, CCTV videos of the January 6th video. So I had to busted from Dallas all the way back there rather than stopping by and enjoying those uh, wonderful cinnamon rolls. (laughs) Well, I don't get them unless she's got them (laughs) promised to someone else. And so I promise you, I won't be offered one unless and until you come back through here. So if for no other reason than you love me, you need to come back through Shreveport. (laughs) (laughs) 
it, it could be very soon again. I, I have to head back to Dallas again very soon. So it, it uh, is always a pleasure to stop in Shreveport for a day or two on my way. Hey, listen, just quickly, a little PS on that story. I just gave you the thing on it's a, it's a group of um, British media folks. I'm not even sure if it's which network or which newspaper, but they were told there was a bunch of new cars that were being built in China and they weren't even trying to sell them. They had no buyers. So the Chinese government was taking all these new cars and hiding them out in the middle of nowhere in a field and covering up the fact that they're out there not selling them and continue to build these new EVs. I'll send you the video. It's incredible. It's this massive expanse of ground and it's all these electric vehicles. They're all solid white. They were all brought there brand new, not been sold. They have no desire to sell them right now, but they don't want to let the world know that their EV production is not providing the results that everybody on the planet thinks that people are going crazy to get their product and that EVs are the way to go. And they estimated there are more than 100,000 of these cars in this one expanse just sitting there. Mm. And the batteries are all still in them. Now think about that expense at the government's behest in China. So things are not always as they are perceived to be on a lot of levels in governments around the world. And I know you'll agree that ours is one of those governments that kind of doesn't do everything they intimate they're doing or are going to do for us. And you're caught up in the middle of a bunch of that. Here's what I want to do. I want you to just tell the people what you have been doing and what is critically ahead along those lines, as much as you can tell us. Well, with my new position uh, at Blaze Media as a uh, contributor, that's uh, officially my title, I had uh, to run down to Dallas for the first time to interact, meet all of the the major players of my editor-in-chief and the CEO of Blaze Media. I got to meet Glenn Beck and Stu Bergier, and I appeared on four of their shows while I was there two weeks ago. And that was kind of my introduction to them and theirs to me. And uh, obviously it was a, a, a needed and necessary thing for all of us to, to put the, you know, the face with the name and, and to begin the process of uh, interacting in a way as we are preparing to uh, roll out this big story that I've been teasing this audience with for weeks and weeks and weeks now, it seems. But this is a story that I've been working on now for a solid year. In fact, it will be uh, at the end of this month. It will literally be a full year since I started working on this story, since I got the scent, as they say, and got on the trail of it. Well, this this is a January 6th story. I want to get that out there. That that is your specialty, and that is what the main course of your involvement with the Blaze Network is about. Tell us the specifics about this massive article that's coming out that you can without going in all the details. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot in any way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the overview is this because I can't get into the specifics that will be, that will be uh, shared in the rollout of the the part one of the series, because it's going to be a series of stories, what we've discovered. And this 
as I mentioned before, began a year ago in my uh, participation and my uh, attendance in the Oath Keepers trial back uh, last fall. And as a result of watching what was happening, the interactions that I saw happening between the Department of Justice, the FBI, uh, Judge Maida, and of course, several of the testimonies that were given in that trial, there were, there were just some things that didn't add up and there were things that were pinging my radar, so to speak. And as a result of that, I began the process of digging both into documents and then doing as much video review as I could with open source video that was available at the time, not even knowing that we would ever get access to this uh, treasure trove of 41,000 hours worth of capital TV, uh, CCTV video. And, and even though I was still intent on digging and working, uh, we were fortunate enough uh, or I was anyway, to become one of the early, let's call us guinea pigs that the House of Representatives was using. It's the House Oversight Committee that is in charge of this uh, 41,000 hours. And you will recall that uh, Speaker McCarthy had promised early on uh, after he was an elected speaker that he would release all of that to the public. And then he pulled back. He didn't do that. He gave limited access for a time to Tucker Carlson, and then he gave access to John Solomon, Julie Kelly, uh, Joe Hanneman of the Epic Times, and myself. So we were the five guinea pigs that this committee was using with their staffers to create a system and a method, uh, a set of guidelines whereby all media could apply for access. And that's essentially what was taking place. In my first three days in that video room, I quite frankly found what I've referred to as the kill shot of my story. I, in fact, it, it was uh, much bigger than I even had imagined that it was with what I discovered. And then we uh, submitted our request for the, uh, the, the camera numbers and the time codes of the videos that they have promised that they're going to hand over. We still do, still do not have those in hand yet. And then I was, as I said, while I was in Dallas two weeks ago, I received notice from the oversight staffer that I would be granted access again on Monday and Tuesday of last week. But in this particular uh, run at the videos, I was also allowed to bring in two other Blaze contributors with me, one an actual reporter, and then the other was one of their video experts, which was obviously very convenient. And so as a result of that, we had three sets of eyeballs on our, uh, our time in the video room last week, and we even found more. We found, uh, again, because I had been working on this for so long, I knew what to work look for because as, as you can imagine, Dan, I mean, here's, here's the numbers. Nobody, no one person can look at 41,000 hours worth of video. Yeah, the, I think the math on that is, is that continuous review of that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would take between five and six years for one person to review all of that. That's with no sleep uh, at all. That's just uh, going through the video uh, straight from the beginning to the end uh, on 1700 plus cameras. And so that uh, is a daunting task. And it's one of the reasons, quite frankly, why there hasn't been up to this point any real true 
uh, game-changing or landmark discoveries. Now, now Tucker, you know, he he found a couple of things that were that were highly useful. Uh, they were they were very instructive to what the previous House Select Committee uh, on January 6th were hiding from the public and how they had manipulated some of that video themselves to, uh, to or not manipulated the video, but the, how they had presented video to manipulate the narrative. And Tucker was able to dismantle some of that in the, the just the two nights that he presented that video. And then the, the releases that have come uh, largely from uh, Julie and from um, John Solomon have not been uh, ground shaking. Now, Joe Hanneman and the Epic Times have put out a, a one hour video release that does, in fact, reveal some very specific things that are important and that are uh, narrative changing uh, discoveries they've made. But because I'd been working on it so long before we had access, I knew what to look for. So I didn't have to waste time going in there and just plotting around and digging and experimenting and, and, you know, looking for clues. I knew exactly the times. I knew exactly the places. I knew what camera numbers and what sections of the Capitol to go and focus my attention on for the stories that I had uh, been developing. And so let me stop you for a second. Uh, as a re- let me yeah. stop you. Our people need to understand what you just said. Steve was on the ground t- in total throughout all of the January 6th stuff, documenting it, video documenting it for use on his website, in his uh, podcast. And so therefore he understood all of that. And in prep, when he found out he was going to get access to those 41,000 hours of videos, he took what he already had and he had the timeline of the big controversial events, most of which had happened and most of or at least a bunch of that has been put out to the public only in drips and drizzles, but he had the timeline in place. So when he went to go sit down and in the 41,000 hours, he knew where to go to look. He knew already where to go, where everybody else who was in there was having to just hunt and peck. I will say this, Steve, and you and I have never talked about this particular thing, but I guarantee you Tucker's staff dealt with the same challenges because they didn't have access as easy access to where to go and what to look for and what to look at that you had. Yeah. In fact, Tucker's producers before that, they had actually called me when they were uh, granted access by McCarthy to that video. The uh, two of his producers called me and specifically asked me, what do we need to be looking for? I gave them three or four stories they actually only used one of the three or four that I gave them, and that was the story on Lieutenant uh, Tart Johnson, uh, Capitol Police Lieutenant. And that was what he used for his second evening of video reveal. And then, of course, as we all recall, it suddenly went away. He just disappeared, and they never mis- mentioned it again. Uh, we still don't know why there was a sudden uh, cease and desist placed on him. I think that that uh, came from Fox News because there was a lot of uh, political pushback against them. And of course we, we didn't, we didn't know exactly at the time that he was on his way out, but <laughs> we do know that now that was just in a matter of a couple of weeks later, they had uh, booted him off the network. So uh, whatever the internal politics were there, he did not, he was not able to follow through. I, I would imagine he might, uh, and his producers might have followed through on a couple of the other uh, stories that I gave them. But yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The, the, the fact is, is that, 
Tucker nor his staff were on the ground on January 6th. Uh, Julie, uh, John Solomon, uh, John Hanneman, uh, they were not on the ground January 6th. Now, Hanneman, I believe, has done probably the best work of any of the media, let's say, from our side of the aisle on January 6th. And I encourage everyone to review his work. Uh, but that is a... a uh, uh, a result of the fact that he has completely immersed himself in January six events. And he is just, he is just, I mean, lived it now for a couple of years and has done, he spends, I don't, I don't even know when the guy sleeps. I talk to him all the time. And sometimes that's at three o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon. And the guy is never asleep. He's always working on a story or interviewing somebody related to this. And this story, Dan is, um, maybe not something that the American people as at large care about any longer, but they should because this in my story that is coming is a direct result of the weaponization of our federal three letter agencies, particularly the department of justice and the FBI against the American people. And this story that we are working on and it will be released in a, in a series of, of, of uh, rollouts is uh, a story that points directly at those agencies and how they used their resources, their power to not only uh, manipulate evidence, suppress evidence, and also to create evidence out of thin air that did not exist and to create testimonies that did that do not comport with the facts as we have discovered in the CCTV. And this uh, is, is something that is uh, obviously of concern to all of us because uh, it's one thing to poke the bear in the eye uh, on a Twitter uh, comment here and there, but we're going to be rolling out a series of reveals that shows that this is exactly what they've been doing. And not only in the Oath Keepers um, case, but also in other cases related to January 6th. In other words, our government has been caught. I, when I say our government, not all of our government, but intelligence agencies, uh, and specifically CIA, FBI, they have been manipulating facts, and I'm being kind when I use that phraseology, manipulating facts to build a false narrative, and they're doing their darndest and have been to sell that to the American people. This series that you are perfecting now is going to expose factually a big portion of that. That's correct. And, and, and we're talking about uh, what was ostensibly the largest and most important trial that was going on in the world at uh, that time last fall. But this goes all the way to just the, the recent trial that happened last week that I was in the courtroom and I covered. I covered it directly in the courtroom. Uh, and that was the, the trial of Stephen Horn. He is a young uh, independent journalist. He was 22 years of age uh, on January 6th. He went up there specifically to cover the event. He is uh, not uh, a Trump supporter, did not vote for Trump in 2020. I don't know if he was old enough to vote for him in 2016. He's a self-proclaimed libertarian. And he was a, a kid who the only thing he's ever wanted to be in life was a journalist. And going all the way back to when he was 16 years old, when he began his journalistic endeavors, he began uh, applying for press passes and press badges for certain events that he was covering. And, and that is 
Uh, we, we have the proof of all of that. But what happened on the way to court, unfortunately, is that when his attorneys filed motions with the court to present this evidence of his journalistic background, and indeed he did. I mean, at, at 22 years of age, this kid had already done a lot. He had even produced documentaries. This kid was going out and covering riot, the riots in 2020. He was covering protests related to COVID and mask mandates and uh, lockdown protests and uh, all of all of these things that were happening in 2020. Uh, and then, and even uh, reporting on news stories, his family uh, had done missions work uh, in Africa, and they, in that process, had discovered some abuse, some sexual abuse of uh, systemic sexual abuse of children in some schools down there. And he was writing stories on that. I mean, this kid was doing the work of a young independent journalist. And when he showed up uh, on January 6th, he had ingeniously mounted a, um, a camera inside of a skateboard helmet because as he had learned from the riots of 2020, that if, Antifa was out there and identified you as a journalist that they would attack you. And that happened all over the country that journalists were attacked by Antifa. So he didn't want to be identified in any way, shape or form. He wore no political messages on his clothing, no MAGA gear, no Trump uh, flag. He didn't carry anything. He was uh, wearing dark clothing and, and this uh, black uh, skateboard helmet with a hidden camera mounted inside the camera. And, and as he started covering the violence that was taking place. He did exactly what I did that day. He followed the story where the story went, which led, of course, into the Capitol. And then in April of 2021, the FBI identified and arrested him. But interestingly, Dan, uh, on, on January 7th, he contacted the FBI himself the day after and, and to let the FBI know that he had video that would be useful to their uh, their their investigations because he had captured scenes of violence and violence against law enforcement and property destruction. And he offered that video to them and he voluntarily cooperated and then went through an interview. And then of course, what ended up happening is when they arrested him, they put him in leg chains and an orange jumpsuit and marched him before a local magistrate here as though he was a violent felon of some sort. He did no violence. He did no property destruction. He just did what he set out to do was to record the events of the day. And again, like myself, not knowing where January 6th was headed on that day. So aren't you glad, aren't you to, glad you did not make that phone call to the FBI and say, Hey, I've got a lot of stuff y'all might want to look at. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they, as you know, the, there was a grand jury subpoena for all my stuff anyway, and that just happened to, month or so ago. But the, uh, the point being is, is that I sat through his three day trial, um, last week, every day, and it was a quick trial. And as the judge mentioned at the very outset, uh, beginning of the trial is that there was really not a whole lot of facts in dispute between the government and uh, this young journalist and his defense team, because the kid had been completely open and honest about everything that he did. And he had two hours worth of his own video evidence about where he went, what he did, what he saw and what he said. But here is what happened on the way to court they decided to present a motion to the court that was uh, arguing a selective prosecution against him as a young independent journalist when there were between 80 and 100 other journalists, many uncredentialed, many independents included, who were not 
and have not been arrested uh, for their excursion through the Capitol that day. And so they were, they, in that selective prosecution motion, filed before Judge Timothy Kelly, who was also the same judge who oversaw the Proud Keepers trial and subsequently convicted Proud Keepers, found our leader, rather, uh, Enrique Tario, to 22 years in prison when Tario was not even in D.C. that day. That's another story. But this is the same judge, a Trump-appointed judge, by the way. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, as uh, as the, the cards were dealt, uh, young Stephen Horn was uh, standing before this exact same judge in that trial. But before the trial, those motions to present the evidence of his years of journalism going all the way back to when he was 16 years old was denied by the court, by the Department of Justice, to be presented before that jury. And can you imagine that when you're going into a trial and you're having to defend yourself against the four basic misdemeanor charges that he was facing, uh, that you cannot present evidence of your journalism leading up to that day and you cannot ask the court, why are you persecuting me for doing what between 80 and 100 other identified journalists were also doing that day? And why are you picking on me? And the court did not allow that type of defense to be presented. And as a result of that, Monday morning, the jury met yesterday morning. And in less than 90 minutes, uh, just enough time for them to get their free coffee and danishes, they came back with a unanimous guilty verdict on all four counts. And as a result of Stephen Horn, um, essentially, as they like to refer to, wasting government resources by not accepting a plea deal back here probably a year ago, they they will punish him. And that's exactly what's happening in all these cases. And as uh, precedent has been set, set, other independent journalists who have been charged for uh, being at the Capitol that day have been handed down sentences from uh, as little as 60 days to as much as eight months for these misdemeanor charges. Now, had he taken a plea deal, he was offered a three-year probation, uh, I think $1,000 fines and community service, that sort of thing. But they wanted him to plead guilty to the charge of picketing and parading in a government building. And he said, but I didn't do that. And he didn't. But instead of... Um, Taking that plea deal, he bravely said, no, I'm going to stand before a D.C. jury and proclaim my innocence. And that's what he did. And uh, his uh, his sentencing hearing is scheduled for January 10th. And we'll find out what his fate is there. But I'm afraid this young journalist is going to spend a few months in, in prison. An unlearned person or someone that doesn't follow exactly what's going on would say, well, he'll be able to appeal that. But do you have any idea what appealing this whole thing and the amount of time it's going to take would cost him. And basically, he was just being a journalist. Yeah. I, I am confident that Kellogg and these other judges in Washington, D.C. that are over this, we're, we're hearing these horrible, horrible penalties that are being meted out to these people, their lives, many of which are over at least economically. A lot of these guys were older than even me, and I'm 70. They they, they have been living this yay America thing 
and theme for generations and their families, their family members, their friends, their social um, groups of people are everyday red, white, and blue Americans that love the, the country, they love the Constitution, and they want the rule of law instigated one more time in our nation's government. Can you imagine how the media industry as a whole, I'm not talking about the leftist, I'm not talking about the, uh, what do they call them now, the legacy media, these are the people that basically are joined at the hip to the Democrat Party. I'm not talking about them, but to everybody out there that really is sold out to the red, white, and blue rule of law, First Amendment, we have the right to talk about anything and everything as long as there's no violence involved, how that's going to make that part of the nation either get very quiet or in large parts disappear totally. I'm pretty sure if this is not the sole reason for this happening, it's worth at least half of the reasoning for this process that the DOJ is using. Well, they are obviously, uh, how, how can we say this? There, there is a pre-planned, I, I would go so far as to say that at the very top levels of the Department of Justice, as they look at all of these DOJ trials, now understand, there was violence committed that day. There was egregious uh, attacks against law enforcement that day, totally unwarranted. And there's no excuse, no justification for those attacks whatsoever. And that what they ended up achieving with what did transpire on January 6th is they secured an incredible opportunity to create a narrative against uh, participation in First Amendment privileges and opportunities and protests and that sort of thing. And as we've talked about before, one of the things that we're seeing in this trial is a direct attack from the Department of Justice against speech. One of the things that this uh, kid did, Stephen Horn, is, and he, again, he learned this from the 2020 uh, BLM Antifa riots, was that you need to blend in. So he was trying to blend in. And at one moment, and one moment only during his excursion through the Capitol, he joined with the crowd in a chant of USA, USA, USA. And of course, the Department of Justice used that against him to then tell the jury that he was there as, quote unquote, a part of the mob and as a rioter himself because he participated in that chant of USA, USA, even though he testified that the reason I did that was that so many other journalists have done and so many other protest events is, is do everything in their ability to blend in so as not to be attacked, just in case the, the kind of people were there that would attack journalists. And of course, we saw journalists attack that day. We saw journalist equipment, um, mainstream media Thousands and thousands of dollars worth of equipment was destroyed uh, January 6th, and they were attacked by the mob. And so his his fears and his approach was warranted, but of course a DJ, DOJ or a, a DC jury didn't accept that, obviously. But what I believe happened, at the, as I said, at the very highest levels of the Department of Justice, is there was basically a star chamber quorum, a round table of sorts where they said, okay, this is what we have the ability to do as a result of what happened on January 6th. And in these trials, 
one of the things that they are doing in every single case is that if you spoke out while you were at the Capitol in your your process of um, accidental tourism through the Capitol, if you were totally innocent of any violence or property destruction, you only saw open doors and said, hey, look, honey, we can go in. And then you traveled through the building. If you just took a couple of quick selfies and got the heck out of there, uh, you're 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 going to you know face the 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 glorified trespassing charge and get your two years of probation or such. But if you chanted USA USA or you sang the national anthem or you said whose house our house as you were walking through the building, then your charges were upgraded and you're looking at two six eight months in jail even as a non non-violent offender. So as a very learned, educated journalist, which you are, you've learned principally through the uh, the school of hard knocks and what works, what doesn't work, how to do it, how to get information, how to get access, all those things that come only with experience. How is what you have seen in these court cases that you've observed and also talking to others and seeing a bunch of video that none of us will ever We'll, we'll never see what you've seen. How do you think this is changing the way that the American people are going to see now? When I say see, I mean firsthand. See and hear now things that we were able, in at least small part, to see and hear that happened on January 6th. How is all this going to change the landscape of real media? Wow, <laughs> Dan, that's a uh, that's something you and I probably should focus on for a two-hour show someday. Um, we can do that. That's, that's a <laughs> that's a big question with a lot of rabbits we can chase in our in our attempts to analyze and answer that question. I, I will tell you this: is that I had I was actually on the phone late late last night with uh, Joe Hanneman from Epic Times, who I mentioned earlier. And we were we were discussing uh, stories he's working on. He's very uh, intimately familiar with uh, the work that I'm doing right now and, and what we're what we're preparing to release. And and one of the things that we talked about was how it's been over two and a half years now since January 6th, and we are just now finally getting to. Um, the evidence of root causes. We're finally getting access to the evidence of the manipulation of evidence that I uh, referred to earlier. We're finally getting to the evidence of the connective tissues between the Capitol Police, the FBI, the Department of Justice, uh, other other agencies and what their involvements were that day. And indeed, who was up the chain on January 6th. I'm not saying who necessarily made it happen or designed or engineered or created the event, but in my opinion, who allowed it to happen as it was taking place. And it's taken a lot of work because we... We are just, even just this new access, limited as it is to that 41,000 hours worth of video, we're finally getting the opportunity to 
have access to real evidence that has been withheld from the American public for so long. Now, of course, the, the naysayers say, well, that's not true because the defense teams have had access to all of this through discovery for you know two and a half years now. And that's just not true, Dan. We know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the actual attorneys working for these uh, these defendants, whether they were violent defendants or whether they were innocent, you know, um, accidental tourists, we know that they were through discovery by the courts uh, only given access to about 650 of those cameras. But we now know that there were 1738 of those cameras and and the, the defense teams are having themselves to apply for time uh, to get in through, get in to see only three video consoles, Dan, there's only three and, and they're having to apply for time and they're having to apply for that time. Now that they've opened up to the media at large, there's other investigators. There are congressional investigators applying for time in front of those cameras for stories and, and, um, uh, hearings that they're working on. And so, but it's two and a half years and we're finally at the cusp of being able to, maybe not completely change the narrative, but to begin to affect it and to be, begin to um, wake some people up. And even when I say wake some people up, waking up some Congress members, because Lord knows they have been too slow on this. They have not understood the magnitude of it. I have been telling them for years now that this is much bigger than they understand. Yeah, I, don't, I know you don't want the political headache of it. I know if you're a presidential candidate right now, you might be saying some words like, uh, you know, I really don't want to spend my time on January 6th because we need to look forward. And that was in the past, but we need to look forward. No, you can't look forward and you cannot look past this because January 6th cases in federal court in the District of Columbia where precedent is looked at throughout all of the other district courts in the country is being set now against speech, against the First Amendment, against the rights of American to bring their grievances before their government and to and to uh, ask for redress of those grievances as, as it's uh, stated in the Constitution. And unfortunately, um, until they wake up, we're not going to see the kind of action we need, but I think, and I, you know, and I pray that when we roll out uh, part one of this story, that we're going to rattle some cages up there on Capitol Hill. As we get to the finish of this segment today, and first of all, let me thank you. I, uh, I so much appreciate you. And I tell you this, and I'm not ashamed to say this. I've told you this before. You're my brother. I love you. I, I pray for your safety. I want to make a couple of points. First of all, a hundred, excuse me, a thousand seven hundred hours. Uh, that four, I'm sorry, a thousand seven hundred days is what that forty-one thousand hours of video turns into. If somebody sat in front of one of those three consoles twenty-four-seven, it would take them five years mm. to watch it all and analyze it. That is how much is there. I doubt very seriously if the American public or even across the spectrum, American media will ever see and be able to analyze all of that. That's number one. Number two, I feel strongly, my opinion, but I feel strongly at some point, somebody that has a much bigger microphone than I have, and maybe even you, 
course, now you've got a greater microphone reaching more people at one time than do we here at TNN Live. But somebody is going to come to this conclusion. January 6, 2021 was the day that the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States, the right to free speech for Americans, began to die. And I really believe that. I hate to admit it, but barring a God miracle, I think that's the road we're headed down. And I'm not asking you to weigh in. I'm just, yeah. I'm just telling you that's my, yeah. that's my opinion. I, I don't disagree with that. We are now seeing 70-year-old grandmothers being sentenced to 11 years in prison for protesting in abortion clinics. We are seeing SWAT raids of 25 to 30 FBI agents arresting abortion clinic protester in Philadelphia. Uh, we are, are seeing uh, these types of abuses taking place all over the country as a result of what they believe was that crack in the First Amendment that they were given on January 6th. And we're seeing it in local school board meetings. We're seeing those attacks against parents. We're seeing all the way up to the um, Attorney General of the United States of America himself, Merrick Garland, uh, basically uh, insinuating that those who would go to a school board meeting and protest against the materials being taught in class and books that are being put in those school libraries that their children are being given access to, that somehow those those particular uh, parents are terrorists, domestic terrorists, and we're seeing the same characterization being made against religious groups, Catholic organizations, things of that nature. And I think that when we do put this uh, under the, the big lens uh, from afar, some point here in the not too distant future that you're going to be exactly right Dan. we're going to be able to focus in and we're going to we're going to we're going to we're going to fine-tune that uh that microscope all the way down and we're going to see january 6 explode uh in our in our lens at that time and the number one tool that will be used to do that is fear our government will use yes. fear to shut us all up And that happens in nations all around us. Steve Baker, you're a treasure. I thank you so much for being here. One question, and I'm going to let you go. When part one of this series that I know a little more than you've been able to tell these people, but I don't know the nuts and bolts of it. And if I did, I wouldn't admit it because I I wouldn't want to get you in trouble with the Blaze Network. But um, when it happens... Will we be able to, at truthnewsnet.org, our website, will we be able to repost those parts after they come out initially or not? I, I think so, because one of the things that I will tell you that part of the strategy that uh, is being developed uh, among the, the Blaze team right now is how we're going to roll this out. Uh, for, first of all, I will tell you this that uh, it was only early this morning, after staying up most of the night, that I finished my first draft of part one of this story. And that has already been sent over to uh, editor-in-chief for his initial review. And then this will then be shared among the important people, including legal. There's, there's a lot of filters that this has to go through. And, it, and as you can imagine, it has to be dead nuts on. It yeah, cannot yeah, have yeah. a flaw in it. Yeah. It's got to be perfect. 
And so there's going to be a lot of people's eyes on this, a lot of scrutiny. I'm going to be put through a lot of questions. I'm fortunate that we have a lot of other eyeballs that have been on this story already uh, as, as witnesses uh, to that, that video. And the, uh, you know, I, I was, I was hoping maybe part one would come out this week. Uh, we're, we're talking about probably the first of October now. So maybe two, two more weeks or just less than two more weeks before we can release part one. And then, uh, you know, which is very not, not frustrating. It's not so fr- much frustrating to me as it is to the people I've been teasing about this for so many months. Because like us. People are, like uh, us. <laughs> well, people, there, there are people that are actually angry at me. I have people angry at me. They, yeah. they accuse yeah. me. They say, you know, because you're not releasing this story, there are people's lives that are in danger. There are people committing suicide. There are people that are being in prison because you won't release the story. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, look, Woodward and Bernstein were leaking information about Watergate for two full years before they released the yeah. big story. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's important on something of this magnitude to get just right. And it is why we are leaking. It's why we are talking about it is because we're trying to get attention. But part of that strategy to answer your question um, specifically is we are uh, going to be uh, meeting with, talking with and strategizing with other news outlets to participate with us in the rollout of this story. So yeah, you're going to get access. All right. Super buddy. Keep us posted. Anything we can do for you at any time, you let us know. Thanks, Dan. So good to have you. Steve Baker in his regular Tuesday appearance in our second hour at TNN live. And if you missed the entire interview, you're going to want to go after the fact, go grab this show It'll be up at the regular podcast sites probably 20 minutes after we sign off at 11 a.m. And go to the second hour. You can fast forward there and pick it up because this is stuff you are not only going to want for yourself, but you're going to want for people you love, people that are important to you. This is something that has the chance to soften the blow of the far left and the amazingly powerful legacy media in taking facts, editing them, deleting them, replacing them with things that fit their political narrative instead of just giving us facts. And this could change this whole process for the worse for the rest of the history of the United States of America. We don't want to see that happen. We're not done here. We're going to take a short break on the other side. Guess what's coming up next Thursday? Joe Biden impeachment committee hearing in Congress. That's just ahead. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing. But hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into. Like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if... 
You're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing. You know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it. For a limited time, at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? Well... You know, I like to have Steve on for a lot of reasons. He gets to answer a lot of questions that many of you asked me. And some of the stuff, I've got little bits and pieces that he and others have been able to share. But I don't have near the depth, the quality, and the quantity of information about all these things. And it's not just what happened on that one day. It's not just what is happening in those trials. It's the fear that has been input into millions of Americans' lives already. Many of, a bunch of people were there that day. A bunch of people that went there innocently. As Steve continues to tell us every time we have a conversation about what happened J6, he reminds us there was evil that was perpetrated that day. There were very illegal acts that were committed. There was a lot of pain that was instigated by some wrongdoers that were there. People did break the law. But the massive majority of the people that were there were there for the right reasons, just to witness the legislative power of the United States of America's Constitution that set up and operates our election system. Heretofore, the freest and fairest election system on the planet, in fact, in U.S. world history, that may be gone. Those days may be over. But anyway, in all fairness, to keep things straight at every level of government, everybody in government has accountability for everything they do in their positions as being in our government and especially a president of the United States, any president of the United States. We've seen it happen again and again. This new thing that's on the calendar, House Republicans are going to hold their first impeachment inquiry hearing to investigate allegations of corruption and abuse of power against Joe Biden next Thursday. Next Thursday. We'll have more about the specifics of that when uh, we get further along in this week, but we'll keep you posted. The House Oversight Committee, led by Chairman James Comer, is likely, and we're told it's likely, I cannot understand why it had already happened, but it hasn't. It's likely to subpoena bank records of Hunter and James Biden this week. Now, I'm sure if whenever they do send those two subpoenas, 
and it doesn't matter if it's this week or next week, it's going to take some time to get those released if they can. GOP lawmakers hope these records are going to provide insight into Biden's alleged involvement in the Biden family's syndicate business dealings and fuel the next step in their investigation. So what do you expect next week's hearing? It'll be the first hearing since House Speaker Kevin McCarthy formalized and told us about an impeachment inquiry last week. McCarthy directed Comer and House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan, a Republican of Ohio, along with Ways and Means Committee Chair Jason Smith, Republican from Missouri, to lead this entire investigation. By the way, Mike Johnson is part of this process. Congressman of the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana, he'll be on live on the show this Friday morning in our first hour. Mike Johnson, you want to make sure you'll be here. I'll be asking him some questions. And by the way, if you want to ask him one, you want me to ask him one, Friday when he's here, email it to me. And uh, depending on time, we'll get it in there. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Fox News has been told we've heard that that hearing next week won't necessarily tread on any new ground. It's simply going to be a review of the existing evidence and explain the status of the inquiry that uh, some sources tell us. One thing I'm going to ask Congressman Johnson, I've already decided, I hear there may be some between now and whenever this actually does happen, trusting and hoping and believing it happens next Wednesday, that there may be some blockbuster new revelation about the wrongdoing in the Biden family that includes the president. Fox has also learned the Oversight Committee plans to subpoena the bank records of Hunter and James. I I just told you that. As to the timing of the overall inquiry, we're told that leaders would like to conclude this before the primary season. Now, you know how to figure that out. You know when the primaries are going to be. If you don't, you can look up and do a search online and find out exactly on what days and weeks and months when these primaries are going to happen. They want to get all this wrapped up before the election season. Doesn't that make sense? Biden faces accusations that he was involved in foreign business deals set up by a son, Hunter, who allegedly promised dad he would use his public office to grant favors in exchange for payments. In other words, I'm going to give you government, U.S. government favors, but you're going to have to pay us if we do that and when we do it. Biden faces accusations. He was involved in foreign business deals. Personally, that is yet to be conclusively proven. But there is circumstantial evidence, we are told, which means credible information. It not is not yet direct evidence, but it is circumstantial. And supposedly, it proves this wrongdoing. Comer and other Republican investigators briefed the House Speaker last week on their findings since July related to the president's alleged involvement in his family's business dealings. One source told Fox that Comer is going to seek additional transcribed interviews with Hunter Biden business associates, including Eric Schwerwin and Rob Walker. Since July, the committee took an interview transcribed from Hunter Biden's business associate, Devin Archer, who in that meeting claimed then-Vice President Biden was the brand 
the brand that Hunter sold around the world to foreign business partners. Archer also said that Biden joined conference calls with Hunter's business partners and that he attended business dinners with his son's foreign associates in Washington. All that right there has been proven already. Also this summer, Comer released the third bank records memo that showed that the Biden family and their business associates got millions of dollars from oligarchs in Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan when Joe was vice president under Barack Obama. Those records show the family got more than $20 million from these business arrangements during that time period. Comer also sought information from the National Archives. We're all familiar with the National Archives. Why? Because of the investigations that are supposed to be underway now by National Archives and also special counsels, one side looking for documents, additional documents that were found to be in the presence and in the, the, um, the facilities, the private facilities of both President Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Not hearing anything about that, but anyway, the National Archives, Comer and his committee is reaching out, has reached out to them to get any and all unredacted documents in which Biden used a pseudonym, Robin Ware, Joe Biden. That was one of his pseudonyms to communicate with his son, Hunter. And there's also a bunch of uh, alleged misuse of Air Force too. More broadly, Comer, Jordan, and Smith, these committee chairs, have interviewed whistleblowers who allege politics influence all prosecutorial decisions throughout the DOJ's years-long federal investigation into Hunter Biden. Those allegations led to Attorney General Merrick Garland granting U.S. Attorney from Delaware David Weiss, who has been leading the probe, giving him special counsel authority. Oh, my gosh. You just can't make this stuff up. We are in for a ride. And, folks, we're in this ride with you. And we want you to stay right side by side with us. Steve Baker will always be with us. And he'll be, as he can, giving you updates and more insight into what happened in J6 and subsequently and how all of that impacts us directly. Till we get together tomorrow morning again, 9 to 11 a.m. You guys have a great Tuesday. We'll see you then. So long, everybody.